You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and for tonight's programme I've travelled to County Kerry to do a tour of Dingle Distillery with tour guide extraordinaire Joe Joyce. Dee Laffin, Chair of Slow Food Dublin, will be on the phone to give us an insight into the exciting programme of events taking place this Sunday, the 29th of October, at Slow Food Dublin's inaugural annual Slow Food Festival, Slow in the City. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll be passing on our congratulations to Claire Kelly from The Busy Botanist on the success of Tommy's Tea, winning the Best Emerging Artisan Competition, an annual competition that's hosted by Listowel Food Festival. If at any point you would like to get in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're off to County Kerry, where last Saturday I joined a group of Americans who were exploring the Dingle Distillery. Joe Joyce, a retired Garda, was our tour guide, and after the tour we had a chat, so let's have a listen. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Joe, I've just enjoyed a very interesting tour of the distillery there with a number of Americans. How did you get involved in this tour guide business here at Dingle Distillery? Yeah, I started in uh, 2014, I think it was, in April, if I'm not mistaken. And I started because um, Oliver Hughes, God rest his noble soul, who died very suddenly July, 12 months, um, asked me, he wanted to get somebody here to start this meet and greet business and he was going to start that tour which is an integral part of all distilleries as you're well aware and uh, he asked me would I do that for him and for that reason then I started and it grew from there to where it is today. So today whenever you're taking the guests around you show them all the different aspects of distilling whiskey, gin and vodka. Yeah, we there are three products that we make here. Obviously, the, the company is the Dingle Whiskey Distillery, so whiskey would be the jewel and the crown, if you will. But the gin and vodka are extremely popular as well and have been a great success. And as you may or may not be aware, there's a renaissance now globally in the interest of whiskey and gin in particular. And for that reason, uh, our gin has is, is been very favourably received and it has won several awards and it's been really well recognised by those who take it. In terms of producing the actual products, does the whisky takes longer to make than the gin and the vodka do? Yeah, um, it's a whole other business. Now, eventually they all come from a much similar base, but, but the whisky, we start off, we, we ferment the grain, we buy in, our, it's all Irish barley that we use here, we buy in our malted barley and we put it into the mash tun where we add the hot water and we let that extract the sugar from the grain and then we transfer it into a washback tank and we've cooled it down at that point, bring it down to room temperature before we add the yeast because the yeast is a living organism and it would be killed if we put it into the high temperature. The water we add uh, to the mash tun goes in at 65 degrees centigrade. So we bring it down to room temperature and we add the yeast and the yeast does what yeast does. It attacks the sugar, consumes it, produces CO2 gas as a byproduct and after about 70 hours 
it leaves us with the base beer. Now, again, you must understand that whiskey is distilled from beer. And beer was made from fermented grain. Where if you take, for instance, brandy is distilled from wine, and wine is made from fermented grapes. So one is fruit, and one is grain. And we always say that the Irish were the first to distill whiskey. Because you must understand that Ireland is too far west and too far north to be able to grow fruit. We don't have fruit in Ireland, with the exception of apples and a few minor things. But, but we, as a generality, we don't have fruit. So whatever distillation was ongoing here had to be from grain, because that's what we could produce. So where the fruit-growing regions of Europe are east and south of us, do you know? And we would have been the biggest producer of whiskey at one stage. We argue that we led the charge on that matter. Um, the first reference to whiskey in Irish literature comes in 1405. That's in the annals of Clonmacnoise, if you want to look up that. And the first reference to whiskey in Scottish literature comes in 1494. So, you know, we can say what's certainty that we were there before then. And during the tour you explain how we lost the market share in America. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's, there's lots of reasons as to why our um, interest in the global whiskey world diminished. Um, starting, of course, with the invention by an Irishman, Aeneas Coffey was his name. He invented the column still, sometimes referred to as the continuous still, and more times referred to as the coffee still. And that was a much more efficient way of producing because you can run this 24-7. It's again very much similar to how oil companies convert heavier crude oils and turn them into usable oils. It's the same system. You can run it 24-7. Basically, it's a big steel tube. You put the beer in at the bottom. There are several chambers within it. And uh, you take the ethanol, in our case, off at the top. Tell me about prohibition, how that affected the sales yeah. of whiskey, Irish whiskey. Yeah, you see, again, we were very much dependent on an export market. Now, we start by losing market share with the coffee still because he tried to sell that idea, that more efficient way of distilling to the Irish, but we weren't interested because we considered it to be an inferior product. So he sold it to the Scots, and they were able to produce much more whiskey at a cheaper rate and thereby beginning the contraction of the Irish industry and the expansion of the Scottish industry. And prohibition is the next thing that comes in in 1920, the 18th Amendment. Uh, the 18th Amendment is the Constitution. Basically what happened there was the movement that introduced prohibition, which was by and large a feminine-driven movement, the temperance movement over there, what they felt was that if they controlled the production of alcohol, that it would make their menfolk more moral. And this is where the problem is. Now, you know and I know, of course, that laws don't make us moral. We're either moral or amoral anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But So the governor of Washington State at the time was so exasperated by the enacting of the 18th Amendment that he simply refused to enforce it. So he said he wouldn't waste one dime of tax money enforcing prohibition, and he didn't. Now, we get our independence of Britain in 1922, and we stop exporting to America, but the Scots continue to send it in through Canada, down through the Great Lakes, spread out through the body of America, and change the palate from Irish to Scotch whiskey. And that's the big change in that end of the Atlantic. We get our independence of Britain in 1922, and 
because we had left the club, they made us pay for leaving the club. Something similar, like as what's happening now to them. And uh, they put high taxes on us. So the people who were buying our whiskey in England, etc., now couldn't afford it. So they started to drink Scotch whiskey. So we lost the Englishman and the empire. They still had an empire in 1922. And so there's lo loads of reasons as to why we gradually lost market share. And in the 60s, you know, the Irish whiskey industry was in a crisis in that they were in terrible financial circumstances. And that's why in 1966, there was one company formed to try and stem the tide, as it were. And that was successful. And they subsequently acquired Bushmills in Northern Ireland. They were all, say, Jameson and those, they were subsequently bought by Pernod Ricard, the French company. And Jim Beam, then the American company, bought a lot of what else was available. So when we start here in 2012, we were the only completely 100% Irish-owned company at the, in operation in Ireland at that time. And how long does it take then from when you start making whiskey until it's on the shelf for somebody to buy? Yeah. The, the Irish Whiskey Act of 1980 tells us that we must mature it for a minimum of three years. Now, you very often hear people talk about three years and one day. The one day is not mentioned in the Act. The Act is quite simple. It says three years. Uh, the one day, however, is uh, relevant in the sense that if you want to use very young whiskey, they tend to add a grace day. And that's simply to remove any argument as to what time of the day this was cast three years previously. Was it midnight or was it a minute after midnight? If it were, then according to statute it is matured. So if you add an extra day, well then that removes all arguments about that particular problem. So it has to be, so you have to build up a reservoir of whiskey and that three years is minimum. And of course we're going to keep a portion of each year's production to subdivide subsequently into an eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 18 and 20-year-old whiskey. But that's down the line. What's the oldest whiskey you have at the moment? Four years now. And you're releasing something very special yeah. in a couple of weeks? Yeah, we are going, we've had two commercial releases thus far, small releases, and we're going to have another one in two weeks' time. This one is going to be slightly different in the sense that the first two releases were single malts and matured in a bourbon, bourbon casks. And this one, we're going to, it's, they're going to be single malt, they're going to be matured 70% in a bourbon cask and 30% in a sherry cask. And that's going to be a different tweak on the previous stuff. Because the cask is very important to the flavour. Obviously, yeah, of course it is. The cask is what, again, I like to use the metaphor about ordering a meal in a restaurant. You know, the meal is what's presented before you. You don't necessarily concern yourself with all the effort that went into preparing it or rearing the food stuff or whatever it is. You just get the meal. Well, the same applies. People look upon whiskey as it, as if it comes out of a bottle magically. It's not. There's a lot of effort goes in. Whiskey is only the sum total of all its component parts. And there's a lot of effort goes into it. And of course the maturation process is hugely important. That's where it gets its colour and palate and uh, nose and all of those things that you hear people talking about. Is the process for making the whiskey similar to the making of the gin and the vodka? It's just different ingredients and yeah, less time. It's similar. Now, it, it's similar in the sense that, yes, uh, they're made from a grain, and theoretically, if you were to put that grain into a matured 
uh, put it into cask and follow the instructions, it would become a grey and whiskey eventually. But um, it's a much longer process and a much more technical process, if you will. Out of the three products and the whiskey, the gin and the vodka, which one sells best? Well, as of now, our gin is selling particularly well. Simply because the whiskey, we don't have a supply of it to give, so it's not a fair comparison, if you will, because if it's not available, well then it's hard to judge how it's going to be received. But uh, the gin has been particularly well received, and uh, everyone that has, you know, tasted it has been done so with, with um, great. With great no. relish, yes, great relish. I have to confess, I'd be one of those people. Yeah, yeah. And I love the special glasses that you have, yeah, or the yeah, balloon yeah. glasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're again those um, balloon glasses. Yeah, they're they're new, and you see all around the, the circumference up there, you get the various ingredients that we use in the gin and so on. Obviously, you have to use juniper in gin. Uh, that's where the whole thing starts. The Dutch began to put juniper with their base alcohol. The Dutch word for juniper is Geneva, and that's where the word gin comes from in the first place. So then you can add whatever other botanicals you wish to add subsequent to that. And you shared an interesting story on the tour about Schweppes tonic water. Yeah, Schweppes, uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, there was a, a German chemist went off to Geneva, I think it was 1883, and he started to put dry ice with the sugar, the quinine and the water because quinine was a, a constituent of it and the quinine story is, is the thing that's added to avoid some forms of malaria. Now, so the British were obviously very anxious that this would be continued. So he started to put dry ice with the quinine, the sugar and the water and that gave us tonic water as we understand it today and that kid's name was Dr. Schweppe and that gives us Schweppes. Now, he failed to get investors in Geneva, but he got them in London, of course, because they wanted to ensure that they had a wholesome supply of quinine to protect themselves against malaria. And they believed that they were now immune to malaria, which, of course, is not the case. They were immune to some forms of it, but not to all forms of it. But, of course, again, you and I know that if we believe fervently something to be true, it is true, regardless of what science says to us. That's why a lie that's told often enough becomes the truth. So, that's where the movement was moved, the production of shrimps was moved to London, and then they start to put citrus fruits with it, which is a, getting rid of another problem they had at that point, which was a scurvy, lack of vitamin C. So they started to put lemons, limes, and oranges with it. And ergo, the British get the name limeys from the use of limes. So, you know, there's a connection all along to the production of this. What's your favourite way to have a dingle gym? Personally, I'd, if I was taking a, a drink here, I would probably take the vodka, funnily enough. I think the vodka is really smooth. It's perf I think it's perfectly. But I also take a gin, and I personally just like it with very simple tonic water and lemon I prefer it with. But that's entirely a personal choice. And for the vodka, how do you drink your vodka? Again, I would take a little, maybe ginger ale. A little drop of ginger ale is, I think, is very nice. But the vodka here is so smooth you could drink it on its own. I promise you that. It really is good. And then the whiskey, or do you take it neat, or how do yeah, you think? Yeah, look at. I always emphasise to people here that everything that you do should be governed by your taste. And this is 
this applies to everything you do in your life. Taste is the single most important thing. That I cannot tell you how you should uh, take a particular drink because I have no idea what you've been doing with your palate, for instance. And you know what the elements that I that would register on my palate may not register on yours, or vice versa, because it depends on how you receive every one of these things. So while you take advice and all this, I can only give you an opinion, but you must decide for yourself as to whether you want to take ice with it or take water with it or some people argue you should take a little touch of warm water with it to enhance the flavours again. This is entirely a matter of personal choice and there's no point in you know, pretending that there's an answer to this. There isn't. It. The answer lies within you. And visitors always get to enjoy a taste of all the products at yeah. the end of the tour in this lovely gin bar that you That's have right. here. Yeah, this lovely. Uh, we've just three quarters way into renovating this particular place and it'll be ideal particularly for the winter now and it's more intimate and it's warmer etc so it's an ideal they go through the system and then they come in and they're given a sample of we just like to give them a, a sample of the raw spirit in the sense that just to smell it and t- and get the understanding of what it is. You make them pour that onto their hands? Yeah, there's an interesting test that you can do if you, when you pour the raw spirit onto your hand and smell it, you'll get the smell of the ethanol of it. And it's very strong. You will refer to it perhaps as rubbing alcohol or that kind of stuff. Um, and then you, if you dry your hands and dry it away and smell again, you get a different smell entirely. And that's where the ethanol has evaporated. And you're left with the base material from which the, mater- the ethanol was made in the first place. In this case, it's barley, water, and yeast. And that's what you get the second time. So it's just shows you about, you know, the flambéing of food, for instance, where, where chefs will very often, you know, heat their whatever they want to enhance their food with. And the ethanol burns off and they're left with the base material with which to enhance their food. Well, it's been a very interesting tour. Thanks so much for having me and for talking to me now. Are the tours on every day of the week or how do people yeah. find out about them? Yeah, we do. In this time of the year, we're doing tours at 12 noon, 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. And from the 1st of November on, we'll reduce that to having a 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. tour. And of course, during the summer, well, we do much more uh, tours. We do them on the hour at that stage or virtually on the hour. And if people want to buy the products, where's the best place for them to get them? Now, we, c- we don't sell here. We don't retail here because we don't have a retail license. And um, obviously, all the off licenses over town, etc. But it's spread out through the country. There's a huge distribution out throughout the country. So um, there's few places in the country that you can get it readily. And uh, that's in the gin and the vodka. Um, the whiskey, of course, when it's released, well, that's going to be a, a smaller release, of course, because it's a more prized product. But um, there'll be the off licenses that supply our product will will have some of it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Best of luck with the whiskey seals. I'd say they'll fly out the door at this time of the year for the Christmas presents. Yeah, it's very much. The last two releases sold out in you know two three days. So it's it's um, yeah it's it's selling very well and much sought after. That's amazing. Well, listen, best of luck with it. And thanks yeah, again thank for you. talking it was to me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was enjoying a visit to Dingle Distillery with tour guide Joe Joyce. If you're just tuning in you can catch up on best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and you can also use the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland best online digital food and drink magazine and congratulations to the taste.ie on celebrating three years i think they're partying in dublin tonight without me not to worry Still to come tonight, we'll be hearing from Claire Kelly, the busy botanist, about the success of a tea called Tom E's in this year's Best Emerging Artisan Product Competition, which is run by the Listowel Food Festival. But before that, Dee Laffin, Chair of Slow Food Dublin, joins us on the line to tell us about Slow in the City, Slow Food Dublin's inaugural Slow Food Festival. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dee, you're very welcome to the programme. You're a member of the Slow Food Movement. Will you just explain to us before you tell us about this fantastic event you have on this Sunday, what exactly is the Slow Food Movement? Sure, well, thanks for having me on, Sharon. Um, Slow Food is basically, it's an international food movement. Um, So it was started in Italy and um, it's in every country um, around the world. And basically in Ireland, there are about 1,300 different chapters called Convivia, and what that is, is groups of people, members who support the slow food ethos. And what slow food is, is basically not maybe as literal as people might think the name is, not about eating slowly or taking time. It's more about, or cooking slowly for that matter. It's more about good, clean and fair food and supporting those things. So what that means is basically in terms of good food, it supports people who produce, who sell and who cook you know really good quality food in terms of clean it always supports um the production and growth of organic uh food and supporting people who don't um produce over processed food and um fair would mean that it's a big supporter as well of obviously fair trade and and working and supporting farmers and small producers and making sure that they're getting the right price for the products that they're they're selling and and the um and growing so Basically, the all-around ethos of it is just that, for example, in Dublin, is like we're just trying to promote the people who are who are ambassadors of great food, you know, who really just um, embody that ethos, and that's really what the idea where the idea for the festival came about was that we wanted to just showcase the best of what Dublin has to offer. And the festival is slow in the city, and it's on this Sunday, the twenty ninth of October. Yeah, so it's on this Sunday, the 29th of October, the Bank Holiday Weekend, and it's on in Cork Street, in a venue on Cork Street in Dublin 8. Um, the venue is called Sophia, and that's it's on the ground. Sophia is, is a, um, a homeless housing association, um, and they have some beautiful grounds there um, on Cork Street, and they've allowed us to hold our event there. Now, Sophia is like a kind of a, a weaving of holistic support to enable people who are homeless to make positive differences in their lives, um, you know, by working with them to become more aware of their of their strengths and also providing accommodation and a safe environment for them to do that in. 
um, we're we as Slow Food, one of the I suppose part of that ethos that I spoke about is we do want to support community projects, whether they're food projects or just projects in local areas that we can hold events and support. And that's why we wanted to have this event in a venue like that, where we were supporting and highlighting the work that Sophia does. Um, the the venue itself is amazing. So there's um, an old church on the grounds and then there's like a community centre. And there'll be three rooms and three areas, basically, that are part of the festival. There's um, the market, which starts at 10.30 in the morning um, and it's basically a showcase of Dublin food producers um, and drinks as well. So you walk in and it's inside, if you can imagine, an old church, big old church. It's a lovely market environment where there'll be stalls for people to browse and sample food and talk to producers um, who will be there on hand to kind of chat to everybody and we're hoping to create a lovely atmosphere there where people can um, taste food and ask questions and buy products. But also there'll be some lovely food to buy and eat uh, as well. And we'll have an area indoors where people can sit and eat their food. Or there's also lovely benches on a green space just outside the church and the grounds if it's a nice day. Then the other side of that green space is the community centre that I mentioned. And there's two rooms in there and two areas of the festival. The first one is called a symposium and that starts at 11 o'clock in the morning and what we're doing is we're highlighting a topic that uh, we feel deserves a lot, needs, deserves and needs a lot of awareness at the moment and that's the health of Irish soil. Um, you know, soil degradation is a real problem globally and um, Slow Food are one of the organisations that would be trying to raise people's awareness of what we can do um, to try and get involved in campaigns or health um, and also what are the issues that are affecting um, us in Ireland, I suppose, at home. So we have a range of speakers across the day who are going to talk about topics relating to that. And that involves um, things like we have Growers Talk Dirty um, at around 12 o'clock where we're talking about the use of pesticides and herbicides uh, on our soil and looking at, you know, is organic farming the solution to that? Um, we have um, uh, someone from Kanani Farm um, who uh, they produce beautiful uh, pork products um, and they're free range pork. Um, so, and then we also have um, someone from Port Leash Organic Golf Course, if you can believe, um, down in Leash. And he's going to be talking about the introduction of an organic style golf course. Um, you know, and the improvements it has made to the soil there. Because if you, people don't even think, but obviously a golf course, you know, to get the beautifully green fairways and everything, you know, they're off one of the biggest users of um, herbicides and things like that. So um, we've got those people uh, chatting to us about their their use of, of farming and growing and, and, and how they kind of combat issues with soil, but also how they treat the soil. And just kind of like talking about, you know, what are the solutions? What, you know, should we as consumers be supporting more organic products or or is there just other ways that we can look at, at helping out? Um, we also have then Don't Treat Soil Like Dirt, which is um, a representative from um, the People for Soil campaign and Aaron Jewell, who's an um, amazing speaker, who's going to introduce us to permaculture, um, which is a form of growing, um, a more holistic form of, of approach to, to growing. And so he's going to introduce that to us and how we should really just um, look at 
really cherishing the soil and, and, and growing and how we can do that um, ourselves at home, but also uh, by supporting the People for Soil campaign, which was a soil that was launched, or sorry, a campaign that was launched, launched about soil last year. Um, and uh, everyone can do something by signing a petition um, there to help support that campaign. So that's going to be a really interesting talk, talk as well. Then we have Growing Pains, which is the next book, and that's the Dublin Community Gardeners. Um, we have There's so many community gardens around Dublin that people can get involved with and allotments as well. And so we have a, um, a few gardeners, uh, local gardeners from different areas of Dublin who are going to speak to us just about like things that they have issues with in terms of soil or just growing, you know, and also just successes that they've had because there are absolutely some amazing uh, community gardens around Dublin, including one that's very close by um, to my actual neighbourhood local community garden is Flanagan's Fields. And then you also have across the other side of the city, you have like Mud Island Community Garden, which is another amazing one. So we're going to be just looking at those community gardens, what what's happening in them, um, you know, what support do they need and how can you get involved and, you know, trying to get people to network with these amazing people who are doing brilliant things around the city. Um, then we have um, a raw milk cheese talk with Sheridan's Cheese. Um, raw milk is obviously a, a big conversation um, that's been happening for, well, for for a very long time. But I suppose it's something that people have a lot of questions around. And then also there's a lot of areas to look at in terms of farming and how soil affects that um, and that production of that product. There's nobody better than Sheridan's Cheese in terms of their knowledge of of that um, industry of, of raw milk and so we're delighted to have them with us on the day to talk about that and their uh, 15 field cheddar cheese as well. And then the final talk uh, around the day is um, Don't Be a Waster and that's a panel discussion about food waste which is going to be hosted by the chef and cookbook author Travis Gleason. And Travis is coming from Dingle for us for the day. He's just recently launched his own cookbook, Dingle Dinners. Um, and I'm sure he'll be talking about that himself on the day and it will be on sale in the market. But he's going to share this chat, this really important talk about food waste because how food waste relates to soil is in terms of compost, it's in terms of landfills, and it's in terms of how much we can reduce food waste at home ourselves and ultimately not only help soil but also save money for ourselves. Um, there's a lot of money and, and overseas production there that needs to be looked at. So really interesting topics throughout the day. I think there's, there kind of is, it is a more serious side of, of the actual festival, but it'd be really engaging and really interesting. And we really want people to come along. And if you've got any growing questions, if you've got any questions about soil or how you can get involved, you know, that's what we want people to come along and just learn something um, interesting throughout the day. So it sounds like it's a really diverse range of topics that you're talking about there at the symposium and the food waste I know is something that you are very passionate about and you have a very important festival ethos where you're adopting a zero waste policy. Yeah well basically as you said I am passionate about kind of raising awareness about food waste and I just because I really just believe that it's the one thing that we can all control in our own lives um, at home and um, so I also um, wanted to try and just um, have that ethos involved in um, the market at the festival because obviously at food festivals 
you're handing out a lot of food, there's a lot of packaging, there's a lot of waste there. And I just wanted to make sure that we were kind of, you know, looking at our own ethos of the festival. So I've impl- implemented a zero waste policy within the market. And what that means is that anyone who, any of the stall holders who are there who are serving food are going to be serving food on wooden boards. And we're very lucky that um, I also work with um, in Body and Soul Festival, myself and Jack Crotty from the Rock of Man in Cork. We work in an area called Food on Board, which is a, an experiment in sustainability at Body and Soul that was created for their festival. And they're very kindly allowed us to use that ethos and that idea and concept for this festival in market. So Food on Board will be implemented. Everyone will get their food on board when they're finished. If they're not finished all their food or if they've eaten enough, there's some leftovers, they put that into the food bins around the hall um, and then they drop their boards at the stations that are that are set up in there. Those boards are then washed and reused so that the vendors aren't sending out any plastic containers or anything like that um, with the food in it. The, also, the food that's been collected in the bins is going to be given to the local community gardens as compost, so that food is all going to be used as compost. Um, and then we have recycling bins for any, if there is any kind of um, small plastic containers or anything or bottles or anything that anyone has. But we're asking people and any vendors who are working with us to try and minimize their plastic waste as well. Any drinks containers or anything like that that are being sold are going out in compostable drink containers as well. So they can all be put into the compost. So really, that's kind of how we're looking to um, have the zero waste and just use everything um, that we're bringing on site will be taken away and leave leave no trace uh, policy also there as well for the site and for the venue. It's very important to us to respect the venue of Sophia that we've been given for this festival. It is amazing at festivals how much waste is generated. So it's always fantastic to see the organisers using initiatives to minimise that. And as you say, to leave the site the same way as yeah. it was whenever they, they arrived that morning. Exactly. It's just, I mean, if you have that policy in place, then you will be actively reducing waste and and even just recycling where possible. I'm sure that there will be some, it's very hard to do zero waste at a festival because there's always something or people bring in other stuff from outside that you don't, you know, you haven't allowed on site. But you can can only do your best and have the ethos in place and policy to try and do that. And I think everyone seems to be very supportive of it. Um, all the vendors are really excited and Food on Board is a great initiative and again, we're delighted that Body and Soul allowed us to use it for the day. Well, no festival would be complete without having workshops and cookery demonstrations and activities for children. So tell us what you've lined up in that area. Yeah, well, um, one of the things about the festival is that uh, all children under 12 are allowed in for free. Um, you must just book their tickets online. And the reason we're doing that as well is because obviously we want it to be a family event, um, but we also have a few things lined up for kids in the morning in the workshops. Um, we have a pumpkin carving demo, which is on first thing in the morning at 11 o'clock. So if kids who come in uh, for that will be doing that in our round room in the community centre. And um, basically they'll be shown a demo of how to uh, actually carve a pumpkin, you know, how to clean it out properly, how to reuse the seeds um, and how to do something with those and then how to uh, make sure that it lights properly and all that. And we'll be getting them to draw their own stencils for their own pumpkins and uh, there'll be pumpkins there for the kids to use as well. 
Then next we have another fun one, another Halloween uh, decorating, cake decorating demo. And so we'll be looking at the fun ways of with icing and colours and things like that of how to making any sort of cupcakes or cakes uh, for Halloween. Like how much fun it is to kind of create those with all the brilliant autumnal colours. So we'll be getting the kids hands on there with icing um, and getting them to decorate cakes that they can. I, I, I don't imagine that they'll be bringing them home. I'd say they'll be they'll be enjoying them on the day, but we'll be we'll be doing that with them as well. Next up, we have a chocolate workshop with a proper chocolate company and a tasting as well with them. They're an amazing company, uh, Irish company who. Um, their chocolate is absolutely beautiful and they really want to tell that story of chocolate and the origins of it and how they work with, um, you know, where they source their chocolate beans from and and the farmers they work with and also they'll, how they make it. And they'll also be doing a tasting as well. So that's a really interesting workshop. Next up, then we have a sourdough demonstration with William from Bretzel Bakery. Um, anyone who likes making sourdough or whoever has, has wanted to make it should come along to this because they're going to be giving actually sourdough starter away. Um, so it's brilliant. Any questions you have, I know sourdough can be a difficult one for some people. And so if anyone is, is um, doing it at home, any amateur bakers or anything, you know, please come and ask your questions because there is nobody better at doing it than the Bristol Bakery. And then we have an oyster masterclass with Niall Savongi from Claw Dublin. Everyone knows Claw. Everyone loves it. And we're really delighted to have Niall on board to do an oyster masterclass. So he'll be going through tasting what an oyster is, what the types of oysters, and uh, talking through all of that uh, absolutely delicious masterclass, I imagine. Um, and then we finally, we have a tasting of slow wine. So you're looking at um, organic and biodynamic wines with Enrico Fantasia from Piglet Wine Bar. Um, so we're asking anyone who wants to learn more about um different wines, you know, wines that have a connection with soil, the terroir and, and who that are produced in a way that is really respectful of the um of the land where it comes from. So that's our workshops and all of the workshops and the symposium and access to the market are included in the ticket price. The ticket price is it's ten euros for adults. Um, and as I said, all of those workshops you can go to then, they're all free and included in that. Um, kids under 12 are free. And if you're a slow food member, you can get in for seven euros if you're an adult. So there's a little reduction there in price. And I'd also like to point out that the, the Dublin City Marathon, as we said, is on that day um, on Sunday, the 29th of October. So there, we'd like to anyone who's doing the marathon to that offer them free entry as well. You know, um, if they're around town and they're finished with their families, just to come up, they'll probably have their medal or their race number with them just to, to show it on the door and we'll give them free access as well to any of those events. Um, the market itself will be, uh, people can access it and go in and shop in there and, and enjoy that. And um, we just encourage everyone to book their tickets online this week um, to make sure and guarantee the access to it. Um, also, with the marathon on on Sunday, there is going to be some restrictions with traffic in Dublin City, but there's loads of free parking around the area, around Dublin 8. So we encourage people to drive in and park up and then walk in. The flea market is also on in Newmarket Square. So it's a great day out in Dublin 8. You can go down to the flea market, walk around the stalls. It's literally a two-minute walk up to us in um, Sophia or Cork Street and just, you know, see lots of different stalls and markets and enjoy some workshops too.
If people do want to get tickets, where should they get them from? Do they buy them online? Yeah, if you go to the Slow Food Dublin website, and it's literally slowfooddublin.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Slow Food Dublin and you'll find links there as well. We'll also be, if you watch the space over online over the week, we're going to be announcing all the amazing people who are going to be in the market with us. Um, so, you know, you, and they'll be advertising as well online. So there'll be lots of news. And we have some amazing soul holders involved in the market that I'm delighted to, to promote and say that they're part of the festival this is seaweed, proper chocolate, Bretzel Bakery, as I mentioned, Clonani Farm, Sheridan's Cheese, Homespun, Rifano's Crepes and Waffles, um, Jane Russell Sausages, uh, El Mulligan Grocers and Camarino Bakery are just some of the ones that are involved. Um, and obviously Claw Dublin as well is going to be in the market um, as well, selling oysters and their famous flame grilled oysters as well. I've had those. They are fabulous. Yeah, they're absolutely amazing and so much fun to see how they how they grill them with the blowtorch. It's absolutely loads of fun. So, um, look, it's a it's a fun family day out. It's a community festival, and we just really want people to come in, have fun, maybe learn something, take part in a workshop, um, and just turn up. You can get tickets on the gate as well if you want. It's absolutely no problem. If you're in the area, just drop by. And as I said, the flea market is just down the road as well. So it's a nice day out in Dublin. Before you go, you must tell us, what are you most looking forward to about the festival on Sunday? Um, I have to say, just kind of really seeing the atmosphere in the market um, and just seeing people buzz around. Um, I just love the way food brings people together and the way people are so interested in it now. We're, we have such amazing produce in Ireland. And I suppose as chair of Social Dublin, my agenda or objective is to try and show specifically what's available in Dublin. Um, we all know we have amazing restaurants and chefs in Dublin. Um, I just want to highlight the producers um, and the people who are really shine through and that we would support um, with, with, by Soul Food. Um, and I just want to see everybody enjoying that, everyone having a bit of fun, coming in. It's the bank holiday Sunday. It's going to be a really relaxed, chilled atmosphere um, and just seeing kids enjoying you know, food with the games and the workshop and um, people interesting and talking about, you know, soil and, and foods and growing in the symposium and then enjoying food and all the showcase of all the producers in the market as well. Well, it does sound like a really fantastic day out. So thanks so much for telling us about it tonight and best of luck with it. Thanks so much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Dee Laffin, chair of Slow Food Dublin, told us about Slow in the City, Slow Food Dublin's inaugural Slow Food Festival. And that's on this Sunday. So if you're hanging around, waiting for a loved one to come through the finish line at the Dublin Marathon, you could head off to there for an hour or two and kill the time that way. Earlier in the programme, I was in Dingle Distillery in County Kerry for chats and a few drinks, it has to be said. Don't tell 
anybody with Joe Joyce Tour Guide Extraordinaire. If you are just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at the new time of 8am. The podcasts are also available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now time for the final interview of the evening and it's with Claire Kelly. Claire, along with her friend and business partner, Joe Arbon, runs a fledgling business, The Busy Botanist, which produces herbal teas. One of the products in the range is called Tummies and it has just enjoyed success in a competition hosted by the Listowel Food Fair. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Claire, congratulations on your recent win at the Best Emerging Artisan Food Product Competition at the Listowel Food Fair. Tell us about the product that took the top prize. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, Tummies uh, is the product that uh, that took the prize for us. It's uh, one of our blend of herbs that basically deals with digestion, helps with bloating and indigestion, that sort of thing, helps with your overall good gut health. Um, and it's the tea, it's a herbal tea um, that does exactly what it says on the tin. You started the company earlier this year. You have a whole range of teas there now. And tell me, where do you source your ingredients to, to create the blends? We pride ourselves on the fact that all our ingredients are 100% organic. And currently there isn't an organic herb supplier in Ireland. So we, we are talking to various farmers at the moment. But at the moment, we're actually dealing with uh, a, an organic herb supplier in the UK. And we source all of our herbs from this one supplier. So the tea that won then, the Tom E's, tell us what ingredients are in there. There'd be herbs like caraway, fennel, uh, peppermint would be the, the main ingredient. And there's a couple of other digestive herbs that would be there. Um, we tend to try and stay away from your typical high street herbs and we go for the ones that are uh, more effective. You started the company earlier this year along with your friend, Joe. Tell me why you decided to come together and create the business. Joe is uh, has been for the last 15, 20 years that way, a veterinary herbalist. And uh, she runs another company aside from the busy botanist called Holistic Hound. And last year... A um, little earlier than this time last year, I started giving her a hand. I'm a single mum with three kids and I've sort of had a bit of time on my hands, only a small bit. And I started giving her a hand with Holistic Hound and uh, it became quite apparent that like, things were getting a bit busier, but she wasn't quite busy enough that she could pay me. And at the same time, quite a lot of her clients were coming to us saying, if it works as well for my dog, can I not take it? So the two of us sort of sat down and we said, geez, we need to come up with an idea that would actually bring in a, a, a wage for both of us um, so, and that it would fit in around what I do with the kids and obviously her with Holistic Hounds. So we sat down over a bottle of wine one evening and came up with the, the range of uh, her, the, the teas for the Busy Botanist. Of course, all good ideas can come alive over a bottle of wine, that's for sure. A holistic Hound, what exactly is that business? What are the products there? What does that business offer? It's uh, with, with Holistic Hound, it's, uh, Joe does a range, a, a small range of uh, products, one uh, for holistic products for dogs, uh, some possibly for cats as well, that deal with all different health issues, again, for animals. Um, and she does a lot of bespoke products as well. She spends quite a lot of time on the phone talking with clients, giving them um, advice on 
their, the, the pet's health needs, um, but looking at it from a holistic approach rather than uh, your, your veterinary um, approach. In order to, to come up with these products, then you have a certain amount of training there. You're both master herbalists. Where did you undertake the training for that? Joe's done most of the training. The actual training that we did ourselves was an online course that we did through the Centre of Excellence. Um, it's a very basic course, but it was just to give me, I mean, I've, I've never worked in herbs at all, only since I started working with Joe. Um, so the course that we did together was just to give me an understanding of, of the basic herbs. Most of what I'm learning so far, and I probably I plan to, to go on and do some more courses, is through Jo herself. She's a, a fountain of, of information. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating working with the lady. She's done various courses over the, uh, the, the past 15, 20 years. The products are available at the moment online. Have you plans to expand your, your distribution maybe into the retail outlets? Yes. Well, thankfully, we've just finished going through the Food Academy programme with SuperValue. And we've launched in the Kerry Super Values um, literally in the last few weeks. So it's, it's been a, a hectic few weeks, especially having then got the, the word about the Listol Food Fair. Um, so, yeah, we're in Super Value and we're also in a couple of Horan's uh, health shops, uh, two of them in Tralee. And the first shop that we ever went into was Mary's Organic Shop in Milltown. So we're, we're, we're pretty lucky. We're, we're trying to sort of grow organically, um, to, to use the word again, because there is just two of us. So um, we, we're trying to um, do it uh, without going overboard so that we can't, uh, we, we don't want to overstretch ourselves, basically. So, But at the moment, we're in, we're in the character values and the couple of health stores. So um, onwards and upwards. <laughs> Absolutely. And you have six products in the range at the moment. So we've talked about the Tommies, the, the one that won the, the prize at the Listole Food Fair. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the other ones. Stressed out. It does what it says in the tin, it's, does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we, we, with all of the products that we have, we do actually have, we have a complete range of 11 in total. Um, but with all of them, the idea was is that because of um, there's so many herbal teas out there that can be so confusing for people and you, you'd need to ha- almost have a, a degree in herbs to, to understand what the herbs are doing for you. We wanted to, to strip it back and say, right, you don't need to have that information to hand when you go into a health shop or into your, to your super value or wherever. Um, you just want to be able to go up to it and say, right, I know that this is, does exactly what it says on the tin. I, I know that there's herbs in it. I know that there's no fillers in it. We've, we pride ourselves on the fact that there's no tea, there's no caffeine, no tannins, nothing else, just the herbs. And But they do exactly what they say. So you can even say, we've got one called women's problems. So we were saying, like, you could just send your husband in and say, right, I want the blue one. <laughs> so... Um, um, so yeah, they do. They do exactly what they say. Okay, well let's let's run quickly through them. Then we've mentioned the Tommies and the stressed out. There's pick me up. Yeah, pick me up. We're delighted. Was a finalist in the Blast and Aaron Awards as well this year, um, which we, we were amazed at. We were delighted. So that's a, uh, something else. Uh, we had um, yeah. You've got pick me up Tommies. This is going to be a test of my memory now this morning. <laughs> uh, Tommies stressed out. We have sweet dreams. And we have women's problems. Uh, we have feeling blue. Uh, there is cold and flu, headaches and hangovers, which is one of my favourite. Um, we have umay aching bones, uh, water retention. I think I've covered them all. Oh, and um, stay regular. Headaches and hangovers. Yeah. Tell me what ingredients are in there that obviously solve the headaches and hangovers. The thing with headaches and hangovers is that it doesn't just deal with the, the headache side of things. It does actually deal with the nausea as well. Um, 
Joe tends to, because again, Joe being the, the herbalist of the two of us, um, she goes with the herbs that deal with all the different reasons um, that there might be an issue. So with the headaches and hangovers, like we, we have a guy here in, in Kalorgan locally that's been suffering with migraines for a long time and nothing's worked, um, but he's been drinking the tea and all of a sudden his, his migraines, when he feels one coming on, he knows he can reach for a cup of tea and it's it's the uh, the natural way of doing things as opposed to, to reaching for a pharmaceutical. I'm just looking at the ingredients here. Chamomile, ginger, peppermint, lemon balm oh, and sweet. <laughs> Bless you. There you go. Okay, well, listen, congratulations on your recent success, not only at the Listowel Food Fair, but also at the Blossom Erin Awards. And um, it, you, it's, it's great to see that they're going to be widely available in super value. If people want to get more information, where's the best place to direct them? They can either go onto our website. Um, we've, we've that up and running now for the last few weeks. We are on Facebook, um, which um, we're, we're very active on social media. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. And if anyone does ever have any questions, they can always message us through Facebook and, and either Joe or myself and we'll come back to them straight away. So uh, we're, we're normally on the ball there. And you'll be at the awards dinner on Friday the 10th of November in the Stowell Arms Hotel when Mary Julian, the head chef Definitely. there in the hotel, is tasked with putting all the winners from this year's Best Emerging Artisan Food Product Competition and the cheese competition as well. She's tasked with putting a fabulous menu together using all of those ingredients. So it'll be really interesting to see how she incorporates yours into that. So um, yes. enjoy that and um, we look forward to seeing what the menu is. And thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Thanks again to Claire for talking to us and the Listowel Food Fair takes place this year from Thursday the 9th until Sunday the 12th of November. Visit listowelfoodfair.ie for details and we'll talk to some of the people involved in that in the next couple of weeks. Thanks also to tonight's other guests, Dee Laffin and Joe Joyce, and to you for tuning in. I will be back at the same time next week with some second helpings interviews, and I'll also be talking to Philip O'Brien, event director of the inaugural Irish International Fashion and Food Summit, which is taking place in Sligo at the start of November. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>